Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Raising the Standard. If you are a father, you're not going to want to miss this episode. If you want to be a father, if you're aspiring that at some point in the future, you want to have children and you've had this desire to be a father and you want to be the best father you can be, you will not want to miss today's episode. I'm joined by my personal friend, Craig Ferris. Craig himself is a father of 12. He's also a coach, a consultant, and he's got a deep ministry background. You're not going to want to miss this conversation. We talk about so much from what fathers are called to do, what's happening in current society right now, what are some of the trends, what is the strategic attack on fathers, where is it coming from, what can we do about it, and most importantly, we talk about the role from a biblical perspective. What is the role of a spiritual father? What's that look like? And how do I begin to exercise that and step into my calling to be the father that God creates and calls me to be? Let's get into it. You are listening to Raising the Standard, leadership, mindset, and development for the kingdom man. If you've ever wondered, how can I be the man God created me to be? Or maybe you asked yourself, what purpose does God have for my life? If that sounds like you, then you're in the right place. My goal is simple, to help you access the unfair advantage all Christian men have and give you actionable strategies to reach your full potential. My name is Josh Kachadorian. I am a best-selling author, husband, father, disciple, and son of Jesus Christ. If you're ready to get off the sidelines, upgrade into your identity as a kingdom man, and take the territory that God has for you, then it's time to raise the standard. Craig Ferris, welcome to the show, man. I've been looking forward to having this conversation. How are you doing today? Doing good. Uh, thanks for having me. Raising the standard. Let's do this. Yeah, man. You've been uh, you've been a big voice in my life behind the scenes. We've been friends for a while, walking through life together, and I'm really excited to introduce you to my audience. And um, Craig, you have a really unique background. Why don't you just, for the sake of the audience, give me a quick overview on your background, and, and let's touch on your family situation because I think it's going to be really relevant to our topic for today about fatherhood. Uh, well, I'm a I'm a kid that grew up in church. Um, I uh, I have been in church my whole life. As far as work background, I have a unique set of skills. Uh, as far as having been in security and multiple different levels, um, and that that brought me to a place where I found purpose in in being able to help coach people, uh, being able to consult with businesses. Um, who knew? that a street background, uh, doing armored car work or, you know, contracting with government work would lead to a place where you go, Oh, wait a minute. I'm actually helping people with their lives. I'm not necessarily just protecting things or delivering things or picking them up. And then as far as personal life, uh, where we're going to go today, I just, you know, I'm a, I'm a dad, I'm a husband. I've been married for 26 years and, uh, yeah, I got, I got a few children out there. <laughs> Tell our audience how many kids you have. Uh, my wife and I have 12 children. Wow. So, uh, you know, like every man, I was totally prepared for that. <laughs> it's exactly as we planned it. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I want to get into that conversation a little bit later. You know, you triggered you triggered my memory when you talked about security, because I don't know if you know, but we or if you remember 
But I first met you at a conference a few years ago. It's probably going back at least four years now. And you were security. And dude, you look tough. I wasn't going to mess with you because uh, I saw you there. I'm like, who's this guy? Like, he looks scrappy and he's ready to take someone down. Uh, but then I got to know you and you're you're this polished guy who's also a coach, a consultant. You got this awesome ministry background. So um, you were quite different than the first impression. But that's OK, because I get that a lot, too. People see me in the gym and they, they think I look like I'm going to rip someone's head off. And then they talk to me and it's just that focus state versus when you're relaxed and when you're doing your thing. The The whole conference being a security guy was a different level for me. That was not ever on my radar. That was. I always preferred in a conference to be relaxed in a place where I could take notes or absorb what's taking place. And uh, people found out that I had done that kind of work for them. We're like, hey, can we use you? Like, I don't know that I want to be used in that way, but it it's a it was a great way to serve, to meet people, um, apparently to scare people. <laughs> but it, it well, does, I'm glad you did it. Yeah, it, it's a it was a great way still to to meet people and to get opportunities to learn. Uh, when you're guarding people that are coming in that you're going, these are high caliber people. Uh, my job isn't to talk to them, but to get to be around them. If you learn to listen well, you can learn well. Well, I mean, there's such a there's such a biblical principle in that of storing well, managing a position that you were given, and then eventually yourself, seeing yourself, your skills and your voice be elevated, which is why we're talking here today, because you have a lot of stuff within you that you have to release and you are releasing now. And I want to bring this conversation to the forefront. So without further ado, let's let's get into it because um, this is really important for me. You know, I ever since I was young, Craig, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, um, but my aspiration in life was to have a family. If you asked me when I was young, what do you want to do when you grow up and, and what's the picture of success you have? Um, the picture I had, and I actually said this in, in a public, I think it was like a youth group setting at one point. I said, I want to have a family. I want to be married. I want to have children. So it was always aspirational for me. I view it as a very high calling. And now that I am married and that I have kids, I'm just so excited every day. It's a privilege. It's an honor. And as you see the responsibility that comes with it, it becomes something that I'm really aware of what's happening in the world. It's something that I want to be engaged in. I'm, I'm looking forward to having this conversation. I know it's on your heart as well. So let's jump right in because you're currently doing a training right now. And the training, part of what you do with your consulting business is you offer online trainings. And the current one that you're running through right now is titled When Boys Become Fathers. So can you just walk me through, um, you know, what's the premise behind this? Where did it start from? And if you could just break this down for the audience a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh you know, I, it's funny us being friends. I didn't know that that was an aspiration of yours. Uh, thinking about boys becoming fathers, I got to say, I have five sons. And uh, in my ministry background and coaching and consulting, I find people regularly that the issues that we're dealing with, whether coaching, looking for, hey, how do I make myself better? Most of them don't understand their personal value. And when we talk about identity in some form or fashion, they're confused by the question or they associate it to what they do, not who they are. And so when you associate that and I start asking questions about your family, uh, most of the time people who are confused by what their identity is are people who do not have a father. 
Um, and so this, this started me thinking, well, what is it my boys need to become fathers? What was it that I didn't have that is necessary for that? What is the, the scriptural basis for becoming a father? Um, and I was like, man, if I'm doing this regularly and people are coming to me, I should probably have a good understanding of what they need, uh, how they obtain it and what they do once they get there. And so I think it's a, this will sound funny, I think, but it's almost a lost art form to be a father. And so we have boys running around that can create babies, uh, but we don't have boys understanding what it is to become a father. And so that's kind of what brought this about. So the premise of the class is that the other thing is uh, for the last 15 years, I've, I've been around church and listened to people talk about spiritual fathers. And I've watched as people have not understood the differences between coaches, mentors, consultants, uh, and fathers. What is the difference? And how do you obtain a spiritual father? So that's part of what we're going into as well, is what's the difference between a natural father, a spiritual father, and what what is an assignment of a spiritual father? Yeah. I, I want to get into I want to get into that. Let's start with where we are right now because we're at a really unique time in history. Um, you know, I don't have to tell our listeners, I don't have to tell you, but the the gender lines are becoming fluid, right? There's there's an erasing happening of everything that a man is. A couple of years ago, we saw the term toxic masculinity enter the dialogue. We further have seen um, an elimination of fathers from the home, but also in the vernacular, right? The way we speak, what we do, what we see in the media. And then we have all the stats to back it up. So what are you seeing right now from your lens as you just look at at the current landscape, just what's happening in the world? Where are we right now? And I'd love to get your take on that. I think think it's real easy to look at where we are in the world. And if you associate that to fatherlessness, Without a father in the home, how does a boy become a father? How, how do you ever understand what the definition of a man is when there is no man? Uh, and so in our current society, we continue to find people that are lost, confused, and grasping onto anything that will provide them an arena of acceptance. And that's one of the things that's missing is when you don't have a father, you don't even understand what love is. So if you're accepted, you confuse acceptance with love. And so they're they're desperate for a father to be present in such a way that they get lost because this group of people say, we accept you. And they think that's love because they've never experienced it. So in our society today, if you look at statistics, they will... I mean, one in four kids is without a father. Um, that that to me is a heartbreaking statistic, and I'm pretty sure that that's not even accurate. I think it's higher. Um, they they've been doing these studies for a long time, and I I think at this point people are even scared to answer honestly when they're doing surveys because they don't know how the numbers are going to be skewed or what people are going to do with that information. Um, so nowadays, our numbers are probably going to be low compared to the reality. Um, I mean, here here's one that will that blew me away was uh, a child from a fatherless home is 279 percent more likely to carry a gun or deal drugs. And I mean, I 
growing up where I grew up in the Bay Area of California, I saw that. I would have never known it was 279% higher, uh, but I understood it. I was around it. I, I saw guns. I saw people who had guns. I could have bought guns when I was eight and 10 years old, uh, but I never did. I had a dad at home. I knew what would happen to me if I tried to come home with something like that. Uh, but so, yeah, so today's state is the evidence of no fathers in a home. Yeah. You know, we're just speaking of current events and some of the things you just brought up, I, I was doing some research ahead of this too. And I just had an article pop into my inbox a few days ago and it was addressing the school shootings, you know, and there's a lot of people that set up their hypothesis of why this happens and where this is going, where's it coming from. Um, one thing I found, there is an author of a book called The Boy Crisis, Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It. And what he found there is when you look at the mass shootings that occurred in 53 developed countries to boys and men, they all lacked a father figure. So he calls them dad deprived. And this is specifically right now, currently in the United States, all six of the last mass shootings that have killed more than 10 people have all been done by boys. And six of them, um, and all six of them have been done by boys who have no dad in the home. They were dad deprived. Um, it's the common denominator across all these shootings. So we see this express itself in a number of different ways. And I also really, it resonated when you talked about boys confuse acceptance with love. And I think that's what I think of when you say that is I think of like gang initiation and people running with the wrong crowd and how they, how do they get allured into, um, into doing that because they're lacking something in their home. So then they're running to find that acceptance. Absolutely. And it is, it's stunning to watch. You, you got to remember too, the, the generation that we grew up in, uh, we grew up where everything was walk it off. Oh man, you fell down, walk it off. Uh, so we grew up in a, in, in a, in a society that prided itself on its men being tough. And we equated that with no emotion. The manly emotion that was allowed to be shown was anger. So we had a generation come up. So now we have a generation that's coming coming up that emotion is communication. People people saying your truth are actually saying what I feel is true. So they're going, please validate my emotions. But it has to be true. And you can't say that it's not true because I feel that. Well, we're paying the price for having walked it off if that makes sense. So now we're, we're looking at a generation that is going, I don't have a dad here. So whatever I feel is truth. And then the first person that accepts my truth is the one that loves me. When in reality, a father helps you when he establishes your identity, he helps establish a moral code, your, your inner sense, whether it's Jesus or just a moral code, whether it's Christianity or they're teaching you, this is right and this is wrong. That's what a father helps you understand is these are the parameters I do not go outside of. And you're, you're looking at a group of kids now that without that understanding of a moral code, without that understanding of how to allow emotions to be valid without those determining your decision process. And so without a father there, you can't understand any of that. So I think, uh, I think that's one of the things that, when most people talk about we came from the walk it off generation, that's one of the things we learned was, wait a minute, 
uh, yeah, we're tough, but those things are still valid and present in our children. And it causes us to have to rethink, do I tell my kid to walk it off? Like if, if he falls off his bike, is it wrong for him to cry? Like that actually hurts. I remember when I was a kid and I fell off a bike, I wanted my dad to hug me. I didn't need him to tell me to walk it off. I knew I was going to have to get back on that thing, but I needed the hug. So it's, it's that balance that a father now has the ability to walk in is to establish that feelings are real, but they're not what control our ability to make decisions. Yeah. I like that. There's a, there is a balance to it because it, it has to do with your emotional intelligence, how old the child is. I know that I see my kids struggle. Um, you know, I have this story where one of my kids, I put them in an elevated basketball league. And as soon as we got there, I noticed this is way over their head. And I saw them, I saw them break down a little bit in the middle of the practice because they could not do the moves that the, all the other kids were doing. And there was a tendency within me to go and rescue and jump out there. But based on where we were in this relationship, the age of the child, and I knew they needed to, to learn this and see this happen. So I watched patiently. They came over at the water break, said, I want to go home. I said, we're not going to go home now. We're going to finish this up. We'll talk about it after. And there was an encouragement. There was like, let's stay with it. We'll reassess. But I'm not just going to bail you out right now either. So I love the balance because it really has to do where they are. Because I see two extremes. One extreme says, you know what? Walk it off, shake it off, get back in there. Don't cry and hide your emotion, which is absolutely wrong. And then there's another helicopter generation right now that is following their kids around on the field. Um, they got their water bottle right there, two inches from them. Are you okay? Do you want to go home? Do you want to leave? Everyone gets a trophy. And that's the other side of it, which is very unhealthy as well. So we do need to find the balance here based on age appropriate. You know, what level are they? Where are you spiritually and emotionally in their maturity level? And how do you father in those different situations? And that, I think that's the beauty of being a father. There's not a manual. There is not, I, I can sit here and tell you what I did with Logan, my 17 year old, or what I did with Levi, my 16 year old, or James and John, who are the 12 year olds. But I'll tell you, when we talk about the same instances, all four of them got treated differently because of their emotional state, because of their age, because of the stage they were at, because of what they could comprehend versus what they could accomplish. And so when I'm dealing with them, I, I don't get to just go, oh, well, my daughters who are older, I did this with them. So this is what, I, no, each individual child requires a specific response, not an automated response, a specific response to that child. And I, I think that even goes to the innate desire of a man to explore. If he can learn that their children are an adventure, it can actually bring incredible satisfaction to the adventure and the exploration. I love that. And I love, I mean, I need to hear a little bit more from you with tell with 12 children. I have three and their personalities are radically different. And so the way I approach them, the way I engage them is totally different for each one. Um, you know, on certain things, but how do you navigate that and how I'm specifically interested for those of us that are fathers and even the aspiring fathers that are going to be listening to this, how do you navigate changing? Because what I find my biggest challenge is the way I fathered last year has got to be different than the way I fathered this year because they're changing and they're in a new phase. So I can't do the same exact thing. I can't, I guess the better way to say it is I can't relate to them the same exact way because they're growing. And so the way I relate to them has to grow and mature as well. Can you talk to me about what that looks like for you? 
pain. Lots and lots of pain. <laughs> I it it's it's hilarious because of the things that I do with my life. You could you could put a, a moniker on me that I'm a change agent. I'm constantly pushing people into places of change. Yet I gotta tell you, I'm a creature of habit. I do not necessarily enjoy having to change. Uh, and yet the demand of my children is that I continue to expand my capacity. And really where it starts is my capacity to love. So no matter what challenge we're facing, if I come from a heart of loving them, then it changes how I interact with them. If I, if I allow the moment of frustration to dictate how I respond, then that changes everything. But if I sit back and I go, I love them, and I remember who they are and where we're growing them into. I mean, Proverbs says, raise up a child in the way they should go and they won't depart. When I grew up, that meant, hey, we got to teach them about Jesus. They'll never leave the faith. And I watched that fail time and time again. I believe what he was saying was, hey, we need to understand God's original intent for that child, their destiny and their purpose. If we will train them in that and help them understand that God created them with that, then they'll never leave that and they'll stay close to him because he designed them to walk in that with him. And so for me, when I'm looking at each child in every situation, I'm going, I love them. And then every response that I have comes from that place. So change is not difficult when you love well. If you're trying to change just to meet the moment or the expectation, that can always be a, a frustration or a challenge. Yeah. I love that, Craig, the way you explain that, that you approach it with the intention of you love them, you have the, the best in mind for them. And that dictates your responses if you can stay in that place. You know, yeah. I have these moments in time. It's it's more it's more so than not. I've really learned to live there where I can look at my children and it's almost like I'm looking like a third party observer in the room. And I can step back and I can say like, wow, I'm so blessed and look at these kids and I'm so content in the moment and I want to be engaged. Um, but at the same time, we have all these distractions. And then there can be times where it's typical of men, the pressures that we have, there's work, there's, there's a device in our pocket, there's someone calling us, there's something happening, there's all these demands of the day that can pull you out of that moment. So how do you live in that moment more versus getting sucked into an emotional response, the urgency of the hour, like what's your tip, trick, strategy that you can give the audience? Because we're talking to ambitious Christian business guys here and you know we have a lot of demands. We're all growing something, we're building something and we have to balance and balance is the key word for, for what we do. So how do you deal with that or how would you coach people to deal with that? Uh, find a wife who yells really loudly. <laughs> uh, I, I remember not too long ago, uh, we began about three and a half years ago, we began building a nonprofit called Legacy Dreamers. And when you're building something, there's, there's within you the desire to continue until it's complete. You're fighting, you're pushing. And when you're doing something like that, you're going, okay, well, I got to take this call. This is important. And if you're not careful, what you do is everything is important, except What's the most important? I'm building this for my kids, but if just because I'm building it for my kids, 
doesn't mean that I can ignore my kids now and hope someday they'll understand why I built something for them. And so that mentality is one. Changing the way I think about what I do determines how I act. So there's a lot of process in how we think. We're going, hey, I got to build wealth for my kids. I got to build an inheritance. I've got to build. Some people get caught in building a legacy. And so the first thing is I changed the way I think. My, my legacy, the inheritance they have is the moment that I stop and say they're more important than anything else that hits me. And that, that's the first place. The second is I remember as we were doing this, we were building it, was Shannon looked at me and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm working. And she said, well, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm working. Like, I, I'm like, I'm trying to get her, like, I'm like, do you understand? And we had had a period in my life where I worked three jobs, 100 plus hour weeks. And I did that for over four years. And she looks at me and she said, are you doing what you did before? And I said, I'm sorry. She goes, are you trying to build your family by building something else and ignoring your family because you know that doesn't work? And I had to stop and pause and think about that. And I realized in that moment, the reality is, Men have been told they have two primary jobs, protect and to provide. The problem is we were never told what that actually means. We have only learned an external response, which means I will go to work and I will provide. And my kids and my wife should know I love them because I went to work. I protect them physically. I put up cameras on my house. I When they're going somewhere, I know where they're going, who they're going with, what the place is. And I say no when they're not supposed to go somewhere. But we were always designed to provide a picture of our Heavenly Father. And we were to protect our children's innocence and their ability to connect to Him and see Him. And that changes everything because it requires an internal capacity to see Him for who He is. And to be what he originally created man for. In Genesis, it says that he created us in his image and likeness. So we were always supposed to provide and protect his image and his likeness. And so those two things are what changed my ability to take a device and set it down. To not get stuck in my room watching my TV, but to go see what are they watching. To be able to look at a screen and go, uh, I don't want to watch this, but I'm going to watch this. To in the moments when they're like, Dad, can you throw the football? Or, hey, Dad, do we have time to sit down and play a board game? Uh, if any of you guys have ever worked from home, you know that it's not easy to work from home and have your kids standing there like, you're not doing anything, Dad. You're you're in your office or you're you're on the couch. And you're like, no, I am doing something. But even in those moments, you're going, how do I stop what I'm doing, still be productive and honor my commitments, but make sure that my kid knows that they're more important. So those are things that I think uh, I know when I started changing my idea of provide and protect to making sure that it was his. It even goes back to what we said while ago, responding in love. Those things changed for me. It, It was an absolute game changer for me. Yeah. Well, Craig, you said a lot there. There's some stuff I want to dig into. One thing I just want to rewind on was you talked about um, when your wife called you out. You know, I got a <laughs> wife like that too. She, 
she's a great coach. She'll coach me up and she'll call me out if I'm disengaged or I'm doing something very similar to what you just explained. And this is what I found is that, you know, we work hard to give our kids stuff. And like, we live in this, this age where there's a lot of material possessions around and, you know, my kids have toys and, and different things. And what I notice is none of that stuff matters. They play with it for a hot minute and it's over. Like my little guy right now, he'll play with keys. He'll play with a cardboard box and he's six, right? He, he'll play with anything. He doesn't even need Legos. And I'm like, I give up. They don't even want this stuff anymore. So what I've really focused on is, and it's kind of along this line. I wanted to address this because as men, we do all have this desire to leave a legacy and to work really hard and give stuff or leave something. And we know Proverbs even says, a wise man, a good man leaves inheritance to his children's children. So there's something biblical about that. And we should do that. We should work hard for that. That should be on our radar. But at the same time, I am also seeing that I love collecting experiences with my kids. They remember that time when we were in the ocean and we're talking about like something that happened or the trip, or even when we were all driving and we're cracking up laughing or we were telling jokes. That's what they recall. They never talk about, hey, my bike is so great, or I love the tires on my bike, or whatever that material thing would be. So I think that's really important. Right now, we have a lot of men that are stepping up and they're talking about issues related to masculinity. It's not just this show, there's many shows. I can even see the Lord's fingerprint on men right now, a calling to initiate men, to call them back into their rightful positions. And we see this in the secular culture within, and also within the Christian culture as well. Um, and there is this big resurgence to provide and protect, but not the way that you just stated it. So there seems to be this superficial, I think it's, it's always good to provide and protect. So I want to be careful. I don't want to call it superficial, but what I'll call it is it's the baseline. Like that's your, that's your man card. Like paying the bills and keeping a roof over your children's head, like that's the bare minimum. So take me a step deeper into, you did a great job explaining provision and protection from a biblical view, but now let's talk about that spiritual role that a father carries and it's back to identity. And I, I see it in Deuteronomy 6 where fathers are called to issue and impart identity to the next generation. And we started this conversation with talking about that. So Let's talk about how that's done. How do you do that as a father? Tell me about your passion around this identity piece and what that looks like for the guys that are listening right now. Uh, let me let me start by saying this. When I was 17 years old, my dad died. I was a senior in high school. My dad was 42, 42 years old and uh, died of a heart attack. Um, and I got to tell you, I had a brother and two sisters, all three younger. Um, and in that moment, my world was shattered. Uh, I was a, you know, I was my father's son. I was the firstborn male child. So it was a big deal. And this, my dad was my world, uh, about six or seven years ago. Um, I, I was, I was training for, uh, to be part of this coaching program. And I, I had to prepare five minutes to say in front of this group so that they could judge me and see if I could, you know, are you prepared to publicly speak? <laughs> and I, as I started going about uh, going about it, I was like, how do I say something that's impactful? And I went, there was nothing more impactful in my life than my dad. And so I started looking at statistics and by statistics, 
the 17 years that I had my dad, according to statistics, means that I actually had one year of time with my dad. And I thought, man, that is not that much time. To have only actually the time accumulated in 17 years would have, if I got average time, you know, not counting all the overtime, the average amount of time means that I only got one year's time with my father. Now, anyone who has ever met my dad, Jack Ferris, indelibly sees the mark on my life that I'm his son. I can't tell you there was a time after my dad passed away. I was in a in a grocery store and a guy walks over and says, excuse me, are you Jack Ferris's son? I, I didn't know this man. But he could see my dad in me. And if you ever saw pictures of us, I look like him a lot more now. I didn't when I was younger. Uh, and this guy walked up and, and saw mannerisms and he had watched me around the store and was like, that's got to be Jack's kid. And he had worked with my dad uh, at a refinery and recognized that. If we're going to learn to provide and protect, we have to understand that I have access to my heavenly father 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if somebody can see the mark on my earthly father after only spending a year with him, how much more should they be able to see the mark on my heavenly father? And if they don't, what does that mean? Because he's not prohibiting me from spending time with him. So that's one of the ways that I say that we have to begin to recognize is what is my intentionality to spend time with my heavenly father? I, I have a book that I can look at as rules and regulations, or I can act like that it's an introduction, that it's a blueprint of the personality and characteristics of my heavenly father. How do I engage with those? How do I talk to him? How do I begin to resemble him? And so I think that's where I begin when we start talking about the the depth of provide and protect is his original intent when he created man was, hey, I want you to be just like me. Oh, a father. He wants me to be just like him. So if I want my children to be just like me, how many times do we get into conversations as men and go, I wouldn't want my kids to grow up like me. I don't want them to see the things I saw. I don't want them to do the things I did. But what if we changed that a bit and said, I want them to be like me because I'm like my heavenly father. I want them to see the things that I've done so that they'll repeat those so that they'll know him and resemble him the same way I did. So that's where I, that's my baseline spiritually is who is he? Do I know him? Do I spend time with him? Do I resemble him? And I would say the last I mean, I've, I've had words about being a father, like people have said, hey, you're so much like a dad, or I, I think you're just such a good father. Um, but the last couple of years, that's something that has started to mark me everywhere that I go and speak. I would just, you have like a father's heart. You're such a father. I don't attribute that to my 12 kids. I attribute that from the time I've spent with my heavenly father, that they're not necessarily seeing characteristics or attributes that I have developed. They're seeing the characteristics and attributes of me having spent time with a good father. And so that's where I think I'd point you to. Yeah. I love that. You know, Jesus came to reveal and carry the heart of the father. 
why don't you talk to to us about that a little bit? Because we may have some people listening today. Maybe they don't know the way you're explaining God as Father. We know this is what Jesus did, but still we get locked into these religious mindsets, boxes, denominations, depending on your background. Um, Not everybody, but could you put that in a fresh perspective for us, that mission of Jesus to carry the heart of the Father and then that impact on you and us, our calling that comes out of that? Oh, man, that's a fun thing to talk about. Uh, So let's put it this way. Uh, When I think about my my earthly dad, I don't think about all the times we had run-ins. I think of all the best times that we had. When I think about the run-ins or disagreements that we had, I look at it and I go, did did he instigate any of those moments? I go, no, he didn't. Every run-in or conflict that we had revolved around my decision to do something outside of the boundaries that my dad tried to create. He tried to help me understand this is right, this is wrong. Uh, my dad didn't know Jesus, not until I was you know, 15 years old. So my dad still used weed. He still drank, you know, good man, not a Christian man, good man. But even with that, he taught me boundaries. He taught me right and wrong. I, he taught me not to do drugs, taught me not to drink, uh, even pushed me towards the values of Jesus. So it was a beautiful thing when I began to see in Genesis that God said, hey, I want, I want man because I want to spend time with him. And Jesus said, hey, I'm here to restore all things. I'm here to fix what has not been the way it should be. So we don't just, and, and here's some opinion, but we're, we're kind of opening that up to talk about a father. So you, you could take this for what you feel it's worth. But when we talk about Jesus, so often we stop at a, the cross because we go, oh, we can understand pain. We can understand loss. But I, I would encourage you to think about this. There is no Jesus if there's not a resurrection. Think, think about that. Our father in the beginning created man to spend time with him and in the garden. We, we lose that. Jesus says, I'm going to restore that. But we try to identify with the peace that looks human. We understand pain and death. What we've got to realize is that the impossible God of creation is the impossible God of resurrection. And that he says in Romans 8, hey, now I want you to understand what it is to say, Abba, Father, 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 know me as the one who loves you, the one who created you, the one that formed you in your mother's womb, and then we're restored to the right place that no longer do we have to do something, but that by being something, we're created to acknowledge him as our dad and we're connected. So before we had to connect through these things, now all of those things are removed. In our mother's womb, we're knitted together. He knows us. He says, hey, I know the numbers of hairs on your head. If I take care of the birds of the air, how much more will I take care of you? Hey, guess what? This is what I always intended was for us to be together. So I I think one of the disconnects is, and even this is something else you can find just in statistics is, 
people associate the word father with negativity. If you say dad, there's connectivity. Uh, when you look at it, father, actually, most people, they say it has to do with accountability, hard work, work ethic. Um, which is hilarious to me because all those things are necessary. But we associate those things to a word that means disconnected. Father means disconnected, away from. And I, I've been, obviously, with Boys Become Fathers, I'm, I'm learning some of these things. I'm learning some of these things. And I thought, is that not odd that Western culture and society has pushed the word that associates us to God as a negative? So now if, if we say Romans chapter that we've been brought into the family and he's our father, people go, ah, I don't want a father. I don't need a father. And so we, we automatically disassociate from the one who loves us the most, who actually will speak to us as we were created, not as we act. That he will not, he will not allow us to be less than. And so Jesus provided a beautiful picture. And I, I love the picture that he provided with the woman that they brought to him in adultery. They bring this lady out as the rabbi. Jesus was the authority. He had the authority to speak as judge, jury, and executioner. And they brought her to him with part of the people going, kill her. You have to kill her. The other half going, is there any way she can survive? You've got to imagine there's got to be people that have done what she's done, not been caught, and think if there's anyone in the land that can save this woman, it's him. And Jesus, understanding what it was to love both sides, gave them permission to become the fullness of what he created them to be and not be trapped within mindsets of how things had to be, but introduce them to a kingdom mindset of what a good, kind, loving, heavenly father looks like. And he says, whoever has no sin, cast the first stone. He did not settle for man's understanding of a solution. He gave them a kingdom solution that provided a beautiful picture of a father that wanted everyone on all sides to be free and no longer trapped. So um, I get excited. I could probably talk about this for a long time, but that that's not fair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Craig, that was, that was amazing. I could listen to you talk about this for a really long time, but a, a couple key takeaways. There's so many, but we see from the beginning that God, the good father wanted a family. That's really what he was after. He was after a family. We have all these different metaphors and pictures of the church and how we relate to them. And one of them is family. And um, we see that and when you talked about the cross, you know, the cross is obviously a central theme in Christianity, but we need to view redemption as a recovery plan. It just brings us back into right standing. And it's all about resurrection. If it only ended with the cross, we would not have any right to enter the promised land or to enter where we are called to be and occupy. So I love it, man. We got to put that full panoramic view back together. And that's what you're doing through the work that you're doing through this, um, this training you're doing and even through this show. So super appreciate that. Let, let's talk just a little bit more about this, this, you know, this strategic attack of the enemy to take out father. You even talked a little bit about the word, but now we also see, you know, politically, we see organizations trying to destroy what we know is the nuclear family. 
this even this just Judeo-Christian ethic of what a family should be, time-honored tradition, right? That I think most people can agree with. We can look at the media erasing the role of a father and blurring the lines there. Um, and we know we don't fight against people. We know our battles in in the spirit realm, that there's a there's a strategic attack of our enemy on fatherhood. Can you tell me why this is so why this is such an issue for today? We've made ourselves an easy target. If we're really to provide and protect the image of our heavenly father, if you look throughout history, what have, what have we done? We've misappropriated, provide and protect to the point that the church has abandoned a good father picture. Uh, if you look back through history, what happens if you're farming? Hey, I can't go to church. I got to work this morning. I can't do it. So here we have, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to upset people, but let's let's think about this for a moment. Church leadership is dominated by men, but populated by women. You look at the statistics, men have abandoned church to the point that the the people that have run church have created a horrible picture of a good father. We've got men that have chased power, women, and money. And that's not everyone, obviously. I mean, we're talking in generalities. We're not talking specifically. But I, but I want us to understand that the world's picture of church depicts the picture of father. And so fathers abandoned the church. So we had no one establishing identity within church. They had no one establishing that. When, when cities used to get in trouble, they came to the church for help. Government officials had problems that they needed solving. They would go to prominent men and women of the church that, that knew how to hear God, could bring real solutions. They would come to them for counsel. When the fathers of churches begin to become the same as the politicians of Washington, we have fathers abandoned. We have a world that when they look, they have nowhere to look. So the enemy always knew what the strategy was. Get men out of church so that they're not operating according to creating a picture of their father that they don't know and create a, a trap for those that are leading the church so that they become bad pictures of what could be. And so the enemy is, has made a very clear, decisive plan that has worked very, very well. Um, and even as you're saying, hey, there's there's an awakening now to wait a minute. We don't have this. Where, where are these? What what do what do they look like? Even what what is a man now? Like do we're actually having to question. So we're having to go back to the beginning. Don't be upset that people are asking that. Don't be upset that they're questioning that. That is where we want them to be when they're telling you the world's getting worse than it's ever been. That's a good thing for us. We were created to be a city on the hill. We're created to be the light in the middle of darkness. There is no war with light and darkness. When I walk into a dark room and I turn on the light, it doesn't argue. The lights come on. There's no darkness. The room is lit up. We have to understand what it is to be light, and that's to be fathers. That's one of the, the real components of being light 
is to provide the picture of our Heavenly Father by being that picture, by being that demonstration. And so when they're asking questions and they're trying to decide, what is a man? What is a father? You show up and you show them what it is. Yeah, that's a great encouragement and admonition for us, Craig. I love it. What do you, what do you say to the men that are listening right now that didn't grow up with the image of a father? And I see this attack on fatherhood. You know, we talked about how that's become a negative word and even where we are right now. So we have this present day strategy of how do we move forward? What about the people where I see this attack on fatherhood is almost if we can, if the enemy can destroy the image of a father and how someone relates to their earthly father, it's so much more challenging for them to even accept a heavenly father image on top of all the challenges you just presented that we have in current culture and church culture. So what's your, what's your coaching? I'd love to hear your advice to the men that are listening that said, I'm hungry. I'm listening to this conversation. It's awakening something in me. It's stirring something in me, but I didn't grow up that way. Like I didn't have that father. I was from that broken house where my dad wasn't even present or if he was there, he wasn't engaged. So it almost like he wasn't even present, even if he physically was there. Um, how do we counsel? How do we talk to those guys and those women as well of how to relate to God when they don't have that earthly picture? One one of the things that I've done, um, and I, I, I never want to coach from a place of frustrating someone, but there are points when you, you agitate someone into the place that they're created for. Uh, and most of the times I'll ask people, Tell me what it was that you think you would have had if you had a father. What is that place of pain that you say, I missed this? What is that? If you missed this, what is it now that you have to become to provide for the next generation? Um, and that that's a it's not an easy process. It is a painful process. Um, uh, and so it's really it's really an opportunity to take pain and displace it to discover purpose. And so that's one of the things. Another thing is if you pick up scripture and you begin to read with a lens for what does a good father look like? It's hilarious to me uh, that David was a man after God's own heart, but was a horrible father. And yet he provided the earth with the greatest, most, uh, the, the wisest king who ever lived. And so when you look at that, if you begin to search for the heart of a father that produced a Solomon versus the heart of the father that pr produced Absalom, what is the difference? And, and this will be a hard thing, but it, it is a real thing. The difference that I see, one of the keys is the mother of Solomon. When I, if you look in there, Solomon mentions being connected. So one of the things you do to understand what it is to be a good father is you listen to your wife. They have keys. And this is why your wife sees you as you were created, not as you are. She knows you as you are. She knows everything about you, but she sees you as the way God created you. That's why when you when you get those things where you're like, she's nitpicking. No, she's not. She believes in you more. She just may not have the language. 
And so, she, oh man, the women. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hopefully, I was just gonna say the women are gonna love this show. <laughs> yeah. They're gonna love this. We're podcast. gonna be in trouble after this. I'm, I'm not gonna <laughs> let my wife listen to it. <laughs> but the, that is, that's a second aspect to this. And I go, what does your wife say about you that you don't believe? What is what is the area that she calls you higher? You may think it's pushing you, but what is it that she believes about you that's more excellent than you believe? That that's the piece of the father that you can display. Um, so you have you have those three things. You have what is it that was my pain point that I can become? Pain removed reveals purpose. I have scripture where I can begin to discover pictures of good fathers. And then I have the voice of my wife, which will call me to excellence if I'll allow her to. That's awesome. Craig, that was, that was an awesome breakdown. Um, I got a question for you. Follow up. If fathers impart identity, we see this in biblical principle, biblical instruction from the, from the Old Testament, even into the examples that you're giving us, what do mothers pl- impart? What's the role of a mother, biblically speaking? Um, we know the role of a father. How are they different? Oh man, I I think I think we have limited the role of a mom. Um, don't get me started because I I have a my wife is like a superwoman, so I've had to I've had to adjust my view to understand the role that a mother plays. Uh, mothers are the ultimate in encouragement because. I can't see my child in their full design without her helping me. It's not, it's not that I can't see my children, but they see aspects of your child in a fullness. They create a well-rounded full picture of the child and continue to encourage them in every way. Uh, if you look at scripture with descriptions of how Holy Spirit operates, comforter, uh, that he will lead you and guide you in all truth. Your a mom actually responds very much like Holy Spirit in uh, the totality of rearing children. Uh, and so it's amazing to watch her become the comforter, become the encourager, to lead them into the places they're supposed to go. And it's when you partner together that you create that full picture. It's, it's that ability for a father. See, so often fathers start with an identity as to what will they do? Because men, we want to do something. We're, we're active. The beauty of identity within the kingdom is that it's what they are. It's just who, not doing, but being. And so we begin to transition to go, oh, if my children can wake up and understand that they are my children, that they woke up that way, that they're going to go to bed that way, that there's no difference. They woke up, that's my son. She was going to bed, good night, that's my daughter. And if they learn to operate as children, it's easy to go, you are now children. This is your identity within the kingdom as you are children. And there's no, it takes off all pressure. It means when I feel like I have an assignment from God, I operate from, my dad said, hey, I should probably do this and that's okay. And they can operate from that because I'm dealing with my son and say, hey, go take out the trash. They understand what an assignment is from a father. When a mom comes along, she's able to provide details in the way the the child's brain works. The father explains how to do something, the way to do it. And a mother tells the child how they can accomplish that task. 
And so, um, yeah, we could talk about this for a while, but I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll end with that. No, I, I love it. I see identity is the major impartation the father gives. And I see this nurturing, this creating of culture, atmosphere, and environment that a mother provides to sustain that. Yeah. And yeah. to guide and that. You got to think about too, fathers have the ability to place challenges in front of their children that may not, may not fit into their purpose as a child sees it. Hey, I'm going to be this when I grow up. So they're like, that's not my purpose. But a father understands if you can help them establish a life of victory that they know that they can accomplish anything, then they can believe what their mother's telling them. It's not It's not about telling a kid, you can do whatever you want and someday you can grow up and be present if you want to. And then just leaving it at that. No, you're stewarding them in the place of purpose, but you're going, hey, I want you to understand that if you put your mind to it, if you begin to partner with this, you can accomplish this task. This is how you do it. This is the way you do it. And if they operate from identity, they won't fear failure. That's awesome, Craig. Hey, as we start to wrap this up a little bit, um, I can't I can't let you off without having you dig into this for a moment. So Paul tells the believers in the New Testament, you have many instructors, but few fathers. So let's talk about something we brought up at the beginning of the show. You and I have talked about this personally, one off in the past. The difference between instructors, teachers, mentors, and fathers, spiritually speaking. So one of the things that I would say is when you begin to break down those things, teachers, coaches, consultants, mentors, all of those things, all of them work with tangibles. They, they, work, they work with measurables, uh, and they will typically help you in various places, but typically around one specific area, and it's measurable. Fathers and mothers work with intangibles. They work with identity. They work with character. They build integrity. And so they don't allow you to shrink back. A mentor may not allow you to shrink back from what the assignment is, what the purpose is, where we're headed, the goal. But a father says, no, you are the goal. Completeness, who you're created to be, is the target. And so you, we're never going to end. You're gonna, they're going to be there for the process, for the journey. And that's one of the huge differences between having instructors and fathers, is that a father goes, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. And we're going to build you. We're going to help you become the fullness of who you're created to be. That's good. Can I add one thing to that? I want to get your reaction to this. I, I always view fathers, and this is the difference between what I would say, even in present day experiences, you know, there's masterminds, there's mentorships, there's people hiring consultants and coaches. I view the heart of the father is to push the spiritual children, the children in the natural and the spiritual, whoever that person is that you're fathering, to go beyond you. When I look at my kids, I want them to surpass everything I've done in life, spiritually, physically, financially, whatever that might be. So I view this role of a father as pushing and believing and pulling that person to go beyond you, to actually be that legacy that outlives the legacy that that father himself is carrying. Oh. And I say himself. Meaning yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, it's what Jesus said. Jesus basically took people and said, hey, you're going to live me for three years. And what did he promise him? Hey, greater things will you do than I have done. It's if 
if we're going to look for the ultimate father, we got to look at Jesus. And he's, he prepared his disciples to become apostles. That means that they were going to do greater things than he did. And you look at Paul sending handkerchiefs from his body or Peter walking down the street and a shadow hitting somebody. We don't hear that about Jesus. Not that he didn't do that or he wasn't capable, not that way, but he gave his children something that when people look at it, go, oh, wow, that's amazing. It put them in a place that they go, they are related to him. And they took everything he gave them and made it better, so to speak. They look like him. They act like him. Yeah. Craig, tell us about where people can connect with you. We know we, we, you have this training you're doing right now when boys become fathers. I know it already started. So people can still join it live. But if they want, you've got all those recordings. That's something that people can connect with as well. Tell us about that training, and then we'll make sure that we drop all your information for people that want to go deeper with you, want to learn about what you're going, you have going on, or are interested in taking one of your trainings. Awesome. Well, uh, you guys can find us at LegacyDreamers.org. Uh, it's there that all our trainings are under what's called Legacy Dreamers Academy. Um, so you go there, you sign up. It's a monthly subscription. Uh, inside of there, you'll find challenges. You'll find eight-week courses on raising children, uh, on how to hear God's voice, uh, a Bible study on Elisha's journey. So we have multiple things that are in there that we, we, we're trying to help people the best we can. Um, and that's what we're doing at Legacy Dreamers Academy. If you're looking for me, you can find me on Facebook, Legacy Dreamers, uh, Kingdom Resource Center, Texas. Uh, I am not hard to find. You start looking for me, you'll find me. Um, but when you do, my, my hope is that you see my father. And that's the only reason we do what we do. Awesome. Awesome. Craig, I love it. Leaving a legacy, legacy dreamers. It's all about everything we talked about today, bringing the next generation to the fullness of everything they're called to carry and operate in. And that's being their identity first, who they're called to be. Thank you so much for joining us on this show. We'll drop all of Craig's information below. Guys, thanks for listening. And until the next episode, let's raise the standard. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If what you heard here today resonated with you and you want to fully step in to be the man that God created and called you to be, then I want to give you a free guide. It's called The Map, and you can get it at standard59.com. In the map, I will give you 12 biblical strategies that every kingdom man pursuing biblical masculinity must honor. If you're ready to step off the sidelines and pursue the upward call, then get the map today at standard59.com. That's standard59.com. Hey, if there's a brother in your life that needs to hear this message, then share this show with them. And please leave us a rating and review. It helps get the message out there to more men. Until the next show, guys, let's raise the standard.